0: Welcome to another round the rotary with me, your host J.P. Warren, and thank you everyone for tu- everyone for tuning in right now. And uh, I gotta I gotta start off like this, like I normally do. That round the rotary podcast is brought to you by Capital Petroleum Consultants (CPC), specialized in project engineering, well site supervision, and all disciplines of the oil and gas industry. Contact us through www. www. You don't want two W's on that; you want three W's. Capital and consultants.com to see what CPC can do for you today. And today in the studio with us, we got a Brandon Buzzer, Buzard. 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 Yeah. There you go. All right. The Vice President of Global Business Development at uh, Lamore Corporation. From right. Finland. That's right. That's where the company is based out of. And we have, and you brought a very nice gift of uh, Finlandia, uh, Vodka of Finland. I appreciate that. Welcome. I know we're bourbon central here around the Rotary, <laughs> but you know what? We welcome uh, we welcome other types of uh, gifts too. So thank you for that.
1: You're welcome. Being a listener to the podcast, I figured you needed to change it up just a little bit. I need to change it
0: up a little bit. Yeah. It's not a bad thing to change things up, no. especially this day and age. So how are you doing to today? Doing wonderful. And,
1: uh, First of all, it's a huge pleasure to be here. Uh, you're a great um, voice for the industry. Nice. Uh, you've been a blast to listen to. You've got a lot of great variety on here and uh, just happy to
0: be here. It's been fun. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's you know, people are like, oh, like, you know, what's the goal? What's the goal? I'm like, you know, the goal is just kind of sit around the table and shoot the shit with people and it's just, to, just to get to know them a little bit better, get to know the, the person behind the position.
1: You, you know, I was, you I was thinking about you because when Joe Rogan sold his podcast to Spotify yeah. you know, for $100 million, mm-hmm. He went back to his first podcast, and when he first announced this whole thing, he had two likes on you know Twitter or whatever it was about his podcast. That's it. Ten years later, hundred million dollar deal with you know Spotify. So,
0: so you never know. Great with, things start small. If you know? the oil, if the oil field dries up, you never know. In ten years, I might be doing something with Spotify. You You've never got the know. radio voice. I, I don't know about that. Right. I don't know about that. So, so you're, um, we. So this is the first time that you and I are sitting across the table together sure. talking. And uh, before we started this, you kind of uh, just talked about that you're third generation oil field, kind of a, a, not a military brat, but an oil field brat. You moved around every three years and all that stuff, but let's get this kicked off like normal. Give me your background. Like, where are you from? Like, what's your, you know, where, where you've been, what's your experience? Let's, 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 let's get it going. Absolutely. So I I think everybody thinks they have a unique story. Uh, But I I feel like. But you know, it's interesting. A lot of people, I'm like, hey, you want to come on the podcast or something like that? And they're like, ah, I don't have a story. Everyone has a story. That's the thing. hundred percent. Everyone has a story. So go on.
1: Well, I I happen to think I have somewhat of a story because I have got a unique background. As you said, I'm third generation oilfield. Both my grandparents worked for operators in Malaysia uh, for most of their careers. What years were that? Oh, God, this is uh, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Crazy. So, yeah, they they basically went overseas. Uh, At the time, Americans weren't, there weren't a lot of Americans in Singapore and in Malaysia. Uh, So, both my grandparents on either side, Kind of pioneered being American operators in Malaysia, um, which is a whole other story uh, we could get into.
0: But it was a completely different city too at the time. I mean, Singapore wasn't probably built yet.
1: You now Singapore was was just, ju- was just coming up. Uh, you know, especially Malaysia was was very third world, uh, very out. They didn't like a lot of outsiders okay. going into Malaysia. Okay. So, uh, you know, some of the more maverick Americans, like my grandparents, went over there to. To try to try to stimulate that that oil production and uh, and find some wells that were okay were pretty famous. Uh, long story short, though, by living in Malaysia, what the the parents of the expats would do would bring all their college kids over and they would put them on the beach at Bali for a summer to celebrate, you know, and, and kind of relax. Yeah. So you have a diverse group of people that are all going to college in the states. And my dad was at the time going to Mississippi State. Okay. My mom was a working actress in New York. Like film or uh, or uh, theater, theater and uh, and she was on a show, uh, Perry Mason back in uh, back in the days. You don't so. have
0: to say it like, I don't know Perry Mason, yeah, yeah. yeah. So she
1: was uh, she was she was working her way up. She was taking film uh, lessons from Lee Strasberg, who's a super Lee famous Strasburg. guy. Yeah, so she's she wanted to be an actress. My dad was a fraternity guy at Mississippi State, and uh, one thing that beautiful beaches do to almost everybody in the world is they give you a common denominator, right? So. My mom uh, meets Country Boy uh, on a beach, a yeah. beautiful beach in Bali, and uh, they kick off their relationship, and, and that evolves into uh, getting married.
0: So her parent, her parents were in a field as well, too.
1: Yeah, both sides. Okay. okay. Both sides. So, yeah, they, they, uh, they, they meet. Uh, I come along a few years later, and uh, my dad goes to work for a drilling contractor immediately after college, Okay, uh, which was called Reading and Bates. Now, many times over, that would be what's called Transocean today. Yeah. Okay. Reno Base is Forex and Falcon, and then eventually Transocean
0: was. Did, did he get a, a patrol engineer degree?
1: Nope. He, uh, he, he went hard knocks. So okay. uh, he, he started off as a roughneck offshore. Yep. So I lived in Borneo, Sarawak, Singapore, uh, you know, all over Malaysia. Yeah. And then stateside, I lived in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, Denver, Colorado, and then finally when my dad earned his way into the office we landed here in Houston. How
0: was that growing up as a kid just bouncing around?
1: Well, I think I think it taught me to sell. I mean, if you're going to make friends every three years, you know, you better be able to jump into a brand new environment, right? and you better be able to talk about other people's lives and, and, and bring context quickly. So, you know, while it's not ideal to move around every three years, I think it's good because, you know, you, you have a lot of exposure to a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, though. If, if, if you... Again, it's, it's just – it's, it's kind of like uh, whatever lenses you wear, whatever le- – I mean, if you can go in a situation, whether it's moving around or whether it's a new job or whether it's whatever, mm-hmm. you can either look at it like, oh, shit, change is bad. I don't want to do this uh, or I don't want to move or I don't- these are new kids they got their own cliques or just what you said. You can kind of change it and kind of look at it as a opportunity. Right.
1: Yeah, and it's also survival too. When you're when you're younger and you come into these various cliques and these groups, yeah. uh, you know, you, you've got to pretty much figure out – what do you what do you add to the group and and how can you get in there so uh so it was it was interesting i went to a, like a dutch school when, okay. I, was in, uh, when I was in malaysia uh, i went to a private catholic school when i was in denver so I, I had all these different types of kids that I was around growing up, and uh, it gave me a lot of experience with, with people in general. Okay. And understanding. All
0: right. So you just, you just, I guess jumped around, could you do sports or anything like that, moving around so much? Yeah, so I was, I was big into martial arts okay. since I was a kid. What, jiu-jitsu, uh, karate? Uh,
1: all of it, yeah. So uh, taekwondo, jiu-jitsu. Oh, really?
0: Got into MMA when I was a little bit older. Have you seen the new season of uh, Cobra Kai? <laughs> yeah, I, have. I haven't seen the new season. By the way, Cobra Kai one. Oh, I'm sorry, best not,
1: not the third season. But yes. I've watched both the previous. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable.
0: It's. Yeah. Un- I mean, the, the fact that like Daniel Russo grows up, and it kind of goes with the theory that he is the bully. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, good for Johnny to start his own thing. But I haven't seen season three yet. But I pr- plan on watching it. So anyway, go back. The,
1: the per- perspective in that show when when you do see. Uh, the other side of hey, you know that guy was sitting on my girlfriend on the beach. What I do you want me to do? You know, my,
0: it was my last. It was my last year. I don't. I just wanted to graduate. It, it's it's
1: such a great uh, it's a great play that there are no bad people. You yeah. know, usually there's bad perspectives or different perspectives, but yeah, no, it's an amazing show. So, so
0: you are so you're in martial arts. Yep. Okay. Did, did martial arts?
1: Uh, taekwondo was pretty much my thing when I was you know jumping around quite a bit. Um, and uh, and that kind of gave me some central uh, activities that I could always depend on. Taekwondo is the same in every country, every state.
0: So you could go no matter where you went. You you had the the group of the common of the common interest and the common sport of uh, Taekwondo. Yeah,
1: it's kind of like religion. If you go to
0: Catholic Church, it's the same. Right, outdoor, right. You, right. you can pop there. in anywhere, any city, and it's, and you expect the same thing. Pretty,
1: pretty yeah. much, the same okay. Thing. Until I I landed here in Houston, more or less, Katy, and then I was exposed to. You know Katie football. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, let's clarify that. I went to Taylor, not Katie.
0: Which, when did you graduate? Uh,
1: 1999.
0: So, do you know Jason Stewart? I do, yeah. Yeah, RJ Moses, yeah, Marcel Meyer. I heard of him, yes, knows. yeah. So, yeah, all those cats were found <laughs> kind of buddies with. Okay, all right. Jason yeah. was on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually. Crazy, yeah. yeah. So, uh,
1: so, so I went to Katie Taylor, um, and then I saw what football was there, and my eyes got wide, and uh, I jumped right in, played football, uh, ran track, wrestled. Um, and really got into the sports side of okay. uh, of, of Texas, which was not existent, not not to this level. It's it's
0: else. a di- it's a different uh, it's a different environment. When you get to Texas. I mean, I grew up in Connecticut. I mean, uh, it was it was big, but not huge. Down here, you come here. It's, it's it runs towns.
1: It's a religion. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's uh, and it's something that I fully wanted to be a part of. And okay. Having sports in my in my obviously in the high school level was uh, was wonderful for me and development. And I think I think everybody should compete and. Uh, out here especially if you can compete it was uh, it's a good man maker you know going into your your college years. okay
0: alright so you so you go to college
1: yeah go to college uh, you know I I, I move around every few years I, I thought you know I, I don't want to basically do what my dad did he was gone a lot uh, you know I don't want my future family to have to jump from city to city. So, so you were kind of turned off
0: about the oil field a little
1: bit. I wasn't, I wasn't turned off to it. I just knew it was a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, the, the stuff that my dad had to do offshore to get inside the office was, was I wasn't work avert, but it just seemed like a, a, a very, uh, back in those days, the, the clear line into the office was you had to go earn your stripes a in a major time. way. Right. A long time. Gotcha. But, uh, you know, so being in Houston, I was also exposed to, you know, the great portfolio of restaurants we have here, yep. hospitality. I was really into fitness. So I figured hospitality, fitness, wellness, that's going to be my thing. Okay. And uh, we just happened to have the U of H Conrad Hilton School here at uh, U of H, which is the best, you know, hospitality school in the nation. Okay. And uh, I figured I'd go there, uh, get a degree for what's worth, and um, and that would become like the next Tillman Fertitta. You know, that was my goal. Right. Right. Uh, was successful at a couple different brands. Uh, took a health and wellness brand out of uh, Houston and, and promoted it in San Diego. So I got to live in California in my early twenties. Cool when it was cool. Yeah.
0: Before, yeah. It's always sunny in uh, it's always sunny in uh, San Diego. It's always sunny in San Diego. It's a beautiful
1: place. Kind of changes as you get older. Okay.
0: But, you, you know, as your young twenties, mid twenties. So did you
1: started. enjoy that? I loved it. Yeah, okay. I absolutely loved it. I mean, who? If you get past some of the things that people don't like about the politics there and, and, and various other right. kind of detractors like taxes. And when you're not making a ton of money, it's not that big of a deal. So, um, you did, know, li- did
0: you like that industry though?
1: Yeah, I, I did. I, I, I liked helping people. I liked wellness. Uh, you know, it, the, follow your passion is what people tell you to do. And uh, I thought that that would be my biggest way to make an effort and significantly impact other people's lives was through the wellness, hospitality right. aspect. Uh, but, you know, that's all good until things change when you get married, obviously, and then when you have a kid. So, had a kid coming right. and I thought about, you know, this, this hospitality thing is a hustle. It's very cyclical, and it's ironic that I jumped out of hospitality to get into the oil and gas industry, which is a more stable environment. Which is more stable right. than uh, than uh, than hospitality and uh, and health and wellness. Which is kind of funny when you when you look at it that way. Uh, but no, I I got back to uh, I got I got an interview with Nov. Uh, at that time, they were gobbling up companies like crazy
0: well so hold on let's 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 take a pause real quick because you're 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 in san diego you Uh get your child on the way yeah uh you're living out there you're doing okay you're enjoying it and then suddenly you're like okay my child's on the way i'm gonna jump into oil oil and gas number one right and for what were you applying and how so yeah yeah, so
1: that that is the big so uh Dad was always in an oil and gas. Okay. So after getting through the contractor side, he went and worked for the operator. He was uh, he had his own company that worked for BP. Okay. So my conversations with my father and the rest of my family, for that matter, were always oil and gas centric. You know, I could talk the language of what was happening. I knew, uh, you know, what was happening on land. I knew what was happening offshore. That was the you grew up thing. around it. I grew up, right. it's in my it's in my blood. I wasn't working in the industry, but that was my that was where my water cooler conversations I with my you. father, so to speak. So, uh, you know, I was living in a 900 square foot loft that if I were to buy it would be as much as any big house out here in uh, in Katy, let's just say. And I was looking at the economics of living in California long term, uh, earning potential. And, uh, you know, I just I started getting dissuaded from how am I going to raise a kid out here? What am I going to do long term out here? Uh, You know, when you're in these tier one markets, everybody's pretty much hustling for a new thing every three years. It's it's how can you stay on top? How can you pay the bills? There's really not a lot of industry in sounds, San Diego. Exhausting. Yeah, there's. There's. You've got the military, and then yeah. you've got lawyers. But there's not a big, you know, hydrocarbon processing plant, you know, in San Diego. That's why it's a beautiful beautiful. So plant.
0: you're you're constantly thinking about that. What's what, what? What can I latch onto this every three years to kind of grow, grow, grow?
1: You, you you have to grow. That you know, when I was out there in 2007, we had you know the market tanked. You see everybody that was in the subprime mortgage game who was. You know, living in million-dollar apartments, driving, you know, German cars right. that were, you know, twenty-two years old. You saw all those guys go away quickly, uh, and that impacted obviously restaurants and health and wellness brands. Oh yeah. So, it, it, the combination of getting married, having a kid, seeing the the economy tank, uh, made me ask myself some hard questions about what I wanted to really do, um, and. At this time, my dad still had a connection to NOV. Okay, uh, he he had a he had a, a soft sell to get me into the offshore projects group in terms of just an interview. Just okay. come talk to my son if you know he's got no relative experience in uh, at NOV, but he he is a hustler, and you guys are looking for okay. hustlers at this at this at this particular moment. And uh, I was able to talk to a great guy named Bill Kent, who um, looked at my resume, kind of smiled, and said, "Well, you know." Sink or swim. I'll, I'll give you a shot, but uh, you know nothing's guaranteed. Okay, and uh, that's how I got into NOV. Happy, so,
0: so did, did you move from San Diego to Houston
1: once you landed the job? Yes. Okay. That's right. All right. So, so that was the the emphasis of coming back. Plus, uh, you know, proximity to grandparents. My, my my family's all out here in Katy and Houston.
0: Oh, once, so you, have if, that, once you have that baby, it helps out. you get it's free babysitting right there. That's right. They yeah. become
1: they become the people that you see on the holidays. The people you want to see. Every day, because that gives you yeah. some sort of respite. So, uh, so yeah, no, we 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 were we wanted to get back closer to family. I wanted to get into an industry that I could kind of dig my toes into or heels into, so to speak. And uh, that's what brought us back here.
0: And so you you applied for the offshore.
1: So I wasn't great at math and science. So I, that's one of the aversions to the oil and gas industry. I, right. I thought, I'm not, yeah. I thought, I'm not going to be an engineer. You know, <laughs> uh, nothing supports my, uh, my scholastic
0: <laughs> me uh,
1: trajectory here. So, um, uh, so yes, it, ironically, I end up into a, a projects group full of great engineers. I mean, offshore projects at the time was when NOV had a backlog that was, you know, a mile long. And the drilling, offshore drilling space was just going on fire. So uh, I ended up in a very engineering heavy um, group with a lot of really smart people. And what was interesting about that is, you know, had I landed in another group, I wouldn't have learned the products nearly as well. But I had to sit there and learn every single product, how it fit into the drilling rig, uh, the process of, you know, uh, the the, the project management process, uh, basically everything that, that I needed to learn to have a technical prowess
0: in this industry, I got to learn the offshore projects group. I think we just had someone on that said, you know, uh, I always try to be the bottom five in the, in the, in the room. You know what I mean? I don't right. want to be the smartest person. I want to be the bottom five. That way you learn the most. That was the bottom one. Yeah. In that okay. For yeah. Sure. All right. So you're, so you go from a hospitality, wellness, uh-huh. uh, environment industry, and now you're plunged into NOV offshore. So what was that, I guess, culture shock for you, but, or did you just grow up around it? So it was no big thing.
1: No, I, it was culture shock in terms of an office culture. So, you know, my my. My roles previous was it, they were my brands, or I was a general manager of a brand. Okay, I could come in, go freely. It was it wasn't so structured. But coming into uh, you know the cubicle life, you know with with office culture, I had never done it. Before. Okay, so you know I, I thought it was kind of cool that my name was on a cubicle. That was you know I felt like that I was cool I for three days,
0: and you're like get me out of the office. And
1: I was like this is kind of <laughs> tiny, and uh, you know it it was uh, it was an intimidating environment for me, and I had to work a lot harder. To understand the products, because I was obviously not uh, not accustomed to putting them together, yeah. and this was not an environment either that that was forgiving on on lag time. We we, we were super busy. I was a I was a headcount ad. I was expected to you know jump in and start producing you know fairly quickly. Okay, so uh, so I spent a lot of time working as hard as I could. I, I might have been the bottom in the room, but I was the hardest worker for sure.
0: Okay,
1: and uh, and you know by working hard and taking projects that were were, were extremely challenging for me learned a lot, but I also met a lot of people. And, uh, what's great about NOV is it, it becomes your own, you know, you can sink or swim within NOV very easily. And, uh, half of your job is internal networking for sure. And I met some great people at NOV that eventually saw that if I could do this in this group, you know, why don't we try them in other things? Yeah, And that sort of I mean, that's what's
0: cool about NOV. I mean, you you meet a lot of people in our industry that that are at new different roles now, but they all, yeah, there's a lot of people that have that common experience of being in NOV. So yeah, yeah, I mean, there's, there's making those networks and making those connections. And next thing you know, they branch off to do that spider web where it's like, okay, this person's over here. I think that's a cool experience just to have that network and just kind of see people's careers start evolving elsewhere. You know,
1: it's a wonderful place to land. And, 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 you know, that was by pure luck. I could have landed at any other vendor, uh, which would have probably been bought by NOV at some point during the time I was, yeah. I was there. But, uh, no, NOV was a, it's a fantastic place to get your bases. Right. Uh, and really it was a fantastic place to be a part of a super winning team. I mean, NOV at the time under Pete Miller was just uh, was on fire. And it was cool to see the industry at that stage and, and really get a taste. And for be it. a part of a,
0: a, a team during that, during that be time. part of, of a team during a
1: boom. You know, yeah. not everybody's got to see that as of late. A lot of guys are graduating now. And they came right into the 15 market, you know. where Which we haven't recovered from. We haven't recovered no. from. So they've never seen what this industry is like when it's, you know. Blowing a Yeah, triple digit, you know, oil prices. Are we going to get there? I don't know if we'll get there, but I think we'll recover to a, to a more sustainable place.
0: It'll be more fun in the industry versus uh, nerve wracking.
1: I, I think, I mean, everybody says it all the time. And, you know, we should listen to our own advice. What goes up goes down. What goes down goes up. I think we've been in a trough. Long enough to where I think we'll start to see some trends that will. All right. Be more favorable.
0: All right. All right. Well, you're hearing it. You're hearing it now, and uh, around the rotary, and this is you can take Brand's word that's, for it. That's, so okay, that's, uh,
1: that's my educated uh, estimation. So, so you're
0: so. NOV, uh-huh. Learning, learning, keep going.
1: Yeah. So uh, learning, and I figured that uh, maybe my long term lifespan within the projects group wasn't going to be great. Okay. Again, I wasn't the best at what I did there. Maybe a harder worker. But uh, you know, I had guys from you know MIT engineers that were next to me that were able to put entire drilling packages together in their head, and then go talk to the you know project manager about yeah. the various you know uh, issues with doing so. For me, I had to have every brochure, every product line manager explaining to explaining to me like I was a two year old on how this product worked together. So I figured I need to I need to do the best I can in this group, but I also need to network into something where I could use my skills and maybe more of a sales customer okay. focus. Uh, uh, front line. Uh, so you
0: started, you, so, so the whole networks, relationships, uh, the the people side of the business yep. is what kind of, you, you started gravitating towards that.
1: That's what I thought I was going to be into. I thought okay. I go into an interview and then I'll, I'll be taking guys to lunch and selling products. Yep. But you know, my way in was through this engineering side. And, uh, and anyway, get, get, little did I know getting to those jobs where you take guys out to lunch and you, you know, you consult with them about their product lines. Was way down the line. Right, those guys earned those jobs. Okay, They're harder. To okay, uh, but, but kind of a funny story. How I got out of the whole hive of engineers was, uh, I'm on this floor. It's nothing but engineering and, and product management uh, or project management. And uh, there's one guy named Tim McGarity whose uh, office is all the way across the, the the sea of cubicles from me, and he's an ex marine, and he's he's kind of like a he's just a really good leader. He likes to talk to everybody. He likes to help promote people. He's okay. just, just a great guy. Yeah. He's an absolute great guy. And every time I talked to Tim McGarity, I'd get a little bit more exposure. Like he would figure out more about me, ask some questions, invite me to you know have a coffee with him or, or whatever. So it kind of took me under his wing in terms of just sort of helping me. Kind of like a mentorship role. And Kind of a mentorship, but like making sure I don't burn out. Right. Like, you know, hey, you're doing good things in this. Just keep going. And uh, so I started uh, rerouting my printer to print all the materials that I had to print off. Right next to Tim McGarry's office. Okay. So I'm on the other side of the, I mean, a sea of uh, cubicles, and I, I reroute my printer to LG46, which is right by Tim McGarry's office. Pretty smart move. So I kept printing because I had to print a lot because I was learning everything, and you know I'd make mistakes constantly. So my, I, I probably used, I don't know how many printer cartridges my time there in projects, but it was a lot. I figured if I'm going to be up out of my tiny little cubicle where nobody sees me, I might as well be standing up next to a guy who
0: could potentially see me, potentially see me.
1: I think he likes me. And, and, and at that time he had a leadership position too. So long story short, over thousands of documents printed and, you know, about a year on the floor, you know, Tim and I would end up at the printer at the same time, or he'd see me in the printer and invite me into his office. And, you know, we just started a relationship and, uh, and Tim McGarity was a great accelerator for people at that time who were sort of, Diamonds in the rough, you know, he'd, he'd find these particular personalities that were in these different groups and say, you know, I he was so well networked within the company that he could say, hey, look, I think Brandon would be great at this. He's doing this right now, but over here in this group, he might do better.
0: So he would look at the personality versus the skill set, which is, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's, that's – uh, it seems like such a logical thing to do. You know what I mean? You want to get the right people versus the right skill set, I'd imagine. But yeah, I mean that's I think that's great.
1: Yeah. And he was in, in his marine leadership, you know, he wanted to mentor people and uh, you know, after like I said, after thousands of documents and about a year of, you know, standing in front of his office, uh, you know, we got to having a discussion that there was another guy from corporate that was headhunting for these these uh corporate account roles where you take care of some of these bigger customers yeah. and you get into exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in front of customers, figure out their pain, salute pain, come up with solutions, value add, all that, okay. all the corporate right. jargon. And, uh, you know, he asked me if I would be interested in something like that. And long story short, Tim got me out of that sea of engineers and uh, some very smart people into a more commercial role at uh,
0: at corporate sales. So what do you think about that? I loved it. Absolutely, really? just loved it. right. Yeah. The first day, first day, you're just like, "This is what I wanted." I, you're you're in your stride. You feel good. You're you're in your flow. First day,
1: I you know I had a boss named Denny Adalong, and uh, he was a big hunter. Uh, you know, so all the all all of a sudden, I'm talking to guys that I have a lot of you know commonality with. I, right. I, I like to shoot guns. I like to hunt. Yeah. You know, I like to you know I, I like to talk to people. A lot of my group at the time at the project side was so busy with their spreadsheets and headphones on. You know, I was kind of isolated, so I get in this very uh, people person A type personality group with this guy that's a great leader, and uh, yeah. So Denny Adelong basically took me from this engineering group and put me in front of you know Key Energy Services, Dick Alario, uh, a lot of great guys, that okay. were in a lot of business with NOV at the time, and then I got to really figure out what I what I wanted to do, and that's being in front of customers and understanding how to how to take care of their problems. Okay,
0: All right. so, so how long were you in that role before you moved up to your next role?
1: Uh, a couple years, so, so the, uh, it was a, it's a global account division that I was in and what Denny did with me is he, he really saw that I had a passion for uh, really figuring out how to make sure that these solutions worked internally and externally. And he said, the best way to do that is to assign you specifically to a customer. So I became what you call an on-site solutions director which they put me inside the customer's office so
0: in, I could an in-house in-house yeah, like yeah, yeah.
1: I'm their guy to make sure that the revenue works well but I'm also there to snipe and cut all the other vendors you know out of the out of the That's game. That's kind of weird
0: too because it's like whenever you are put in-house I mean that culture might not fit with the, you know you, oh, yeah. you might not be used to the culture that you're in-house but you got to yeah, you if you're in you got to play that game though. Again being the
1: guy who moved around every 3 years you know I, I was, it was like fine the, for you throw me in downtown okay. with key energy and uh you know at the time we were spending X amount of dollars, and my goal was to pump that up to, you know, three times. Right. And uh, so I got into the key energy services sort of culture and understood what they wanted to do. And I was good at it. And uh, I, I was I was able to really increase their revenue level with NOV. Okay. <clears throat> and by doing so, my boss, Danny, says, okay, if you could do that, you know, teach others to do this. You know, this is – this is they had an on-site solutions director role at the time, but, you know, they, they wanted to do it in a more effective way. Uh, so I became – an offsite solutions director, which meant I take care of the customer wasn't in their office, but I was helping guys that are kind of peripheral to my role, do better with their customers inside their offices. So that was kind of my first test of leadership. Can I, can I, can I help others do what I was doing? So it was more of a
0: trainer, kind of a, kind of a trainer role, kind of a trainer role. And,
1: you know, more of like a best practices. What, what am I doing versus other people? Yeah. What works or what's worked for me. Uh, And, and, and that was sort of a, a micromanagement course. in. And, you know how do you how do you how do you teach others? Did
0: you like did you did you uh, how, how was teaching for you? Was it did you fall into? It? I mean, it would, or did you enjoy it? I, I loved it. I okay. loved so
1: I loved helping people. I, okay. I loved sharing best practices. You know, I, I actually gained a lot of uh, information from the people that I would be helping as well. So uh, it was a great two way street. I would learn a lot; they learned something hopefully. And uh, and it was uh, it gave me the ability to look at bigger problems, more accounts. Uh, so they kept adding more and more accounts to my okay to my account list. All right. And uh, and yeah, so I, I got I got fairly proficient at that. Um, stayed in that role for a while, and then you know I had the dream shot of being on a team that got promoted into a vice president role. Um, my whole group did because we were under okay. under Denny, and uh, and it was uh, and then I got to really do what I wanted to, and that's which, which is that's finding unique technologies that NOV had, and then basically looking in the bat cave and finding what what's this, what's the thing that's been on the rack. That we haven't pulled out yet. That, that we really, haven't
0: focused on. That we haven't even spoke about. We've we've been too busy. We've been gobbling up
1: company after company after company. Uh, you know, I, I explained it kind of out there. It's like Storage Wars, where you know, NOV acquisitions was like you open the storage uh, center and you see baseball cards. You want those baseball cards, so NOV buys the, Buy whole, the whole thing. whole thing. But within those baseball cards, there's you know World War II coins and all these other things. Yeah, and that was kind of like NOV for a while. We we had things that were. Uh, just, just uh, breakthrough technologies that we didn't really even know that we had. Uh, okay. So I, I really got into uncovering what do we get from these acquisitions? What's what's in the back cave that I could bring out? What kind of engineering team could I put together? And how could I get this into the customer's office to get adoption? And uh, that was a blast.
0: I mean, that sounds pretty interesting because I mean, not only not only are you. Uh, uh, kind of fulfilling your role, get in front of customers. But you're also looking at this new, whether it's new technology or just technology that's not in the forefront of NOV's mind, you're kind of trying to to piecemeal together something that may work for the customer. That's kind of like a detective work a little bit. I like that.
1: Well, it's fun because, you know, we'd have these massive problems and you didn't have to be a genius to understand the problems. Uh, For one, let's just say Key Energy Services at the time had tons of saltwater disposal wells right. and they would bring in all these trucks and they they dispose of their salt water at these massive you know injection wells but they'd be leaving you know two or three percent oil and that produced water and the disposal guys would just kind of skim that oil off the top and they'd make money off of yeah that. um and key had a bunch of disposal wells and you know all, while the skim was pretty proficient it would be better if they were able to take even more of that oil out of the water from you know uh from a from from a much smaller standpoint, so we had this the solution called the Water Wolf, and this Water Wolf would you know connect to a great name by the way. Yeah, it, the guy the guy's name is Mark Wolf. He's an engineer, and he came up with this thing, and and uh, that we, we called it the Water Wolf, oh, yeah. and uh, only only because the guy was named Wolf. But it was a he's a fantastic engineer, and he uh, he came up with this just breakthrough solution, and um, it's it's still doing great things at Nov.
0: So you're there. You're enjoying this. You're, yeah. you're, you're solving problems with this new technology. Uh, you're promotion now, so everything's pretty good. So yeah. you're not there anymore.
1: Nope, not there anymore. So it, it's it's kind of hysterical. I, I, I got my chops sort of wet with the water wolf, and then these other technologies like yeah. that, which really showed how much value can be uh can can be uh how much value is left on the table that we're not if we're not proficiently processing both waste and water. I saw what happened when you pull oil out of water with this water wolf, and how much that can impact overall revenue. Uh, and then the same thing with, uh, you know, with waste. Solids control especially. When you're on a, the drilling shakers as they're processing the drilling fluid from the uh, uh, the drill cuttings, you know, there's a lot of waste that goes in that right. process. And by being in the water wolf circle where I'm out there promoting new technologies, I'm getting a vision of the entire market. I'm seeing... You know, what are the new game-changing technologies both, you know, externally and internally? And one of those game-changing technologies was a company called Cubility.
0: Okay. And they had a
1: very unique way of separating solids uh, from the drilling fluid. It was, it was this gigantic red vacuum cleaner, basically.
0: Was That's, this a separate company or was this a company that, NOV, uh, This is a, was it Storage Wars? It was like in there in the corner? No,
1: this is something that I saw on the market okay. that was out there. That was actually a, a threat or possibly, you know, an acquisition target for NOV at the time. All right. And, uh, you know, long story short, I got introduced to these guys and, uh, you know, with the background of the Water Wolf and kind of things I'd done there. uh, I went over to Cubility, left, left a nice, nice gig at NOV, Uh,
0: you know. One uh, of the most well-known, you know, companies out there in the wool industry. Right. Took a
1: major risk. You know, I I used to joke that people would have my head examined for making that decision. And how how old was
0: your your son then? He was, uh, let me see, he was three or four. Okay.
1: All right. So I was maybe getting less sleep and that's why I was more irrational, but uh, no, no, I, uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Yeah. So,
1: but, but what I saw was I saw, I saw that there's so much potential with things like the water wolf. And then Hubility had this solid control system that, you know, I saw the writing on the wall. It was a different, different way to do everything. And uh, so I decided to leave this, 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 uh, this great role and uh, go take a chance to do something else. And uh, long story short, Learned a lot about solids control. Uh, Got this very Norwegian, offshore-centric, only done on stat oil rigs uh, into the U.S. land market, both U.S. and Canada.
0: Uh, Had some great distributors now that were... You know, rock and stuff all over. How was that going from such a, a well-established company like you know Nov? You got the support team, you got whatever accounting, you got mm-hmm. to go into kind of a, a smaller company, and, and it's it's not as much of a support system as you had previously. Well, I'm assuming. Oh it, it was it was
1: less support for sure, but uh, you know the great thing about uh, you know I had never worked for a Norwegian company before yeah. either, and uh, you know just just great people in general, and and super nice and super organized. So it wasn't it, it wasn't jumping off the cliff to the degree where you know there was no back end. Right. They had it. They had a. They had structure. They had they had systems and processes. Uh, they just needed the revenue pull through, and they needed to get this product, you know, off the off the North Sea side and into okay. You know where the where the action was after fifteen was the the Shell Revolution. Right. U.S. land was the play. You know, almost nothing was happening offshore. So that's what that their whole focus was. Can you please try to push this into U.S. land and then other geographies? Which, uh, which over the course of three years, we figured out how to get this red vacuum cleaner to add enough value on land to where it was a, it was a no-brainer. Okay. People said, okay. I mean, in the best-widget-wins environment where it no longer matters if you know, the NOV guy took you out to lunch 5,000 times, that's the solids control system you're going to go with, uh, the post-15 environment was how much money can you
0: save me? And uh, it became real price low cost focus or how much money can you absolutely. set? Yeah, absolutely in fifteen sixteen.
1: Fifteen sixteen became may the best widget win. And then also uh, we start to see these these startings of how much environmental uh, impact is this having on my drilling solution. Okay. So we're starting to see regulation, not to not to a large degree, but there's now a value in promoting uh, this is the advent of there's a lot of clean tech talk at this point, fifteen sixteen. Uh and now part of the narrative, at least within corporate, was, is your drilling solution uh, valuable? Does it do things well? And now how is it on the environment and how is it on the people that work for or work around it? Right. And this Cubility solution has a vacuum uh, separation mechanism. So all those drilling fumes that come up with, with the bit and gets processed mm-hmm. through, it's all getting sucked through the machine. And not only that, it's, getting, it's separating the fluid at such a high rate. That you're not using more drilling fluid, so all of a sudden your mud bill is a million dollars less of well, or whatever it was, but and then the frontline workers that are standing on top of these sh- shell shakers all day long, they're getting full ventilation, so all that all those fumes are being pulled down and uh, and away from the the human element.
0: Yeah, okay. So,
1: so then I thought, hey, it feels good to sell a solution that not only is adding you know, massive value to the customer, but it's also, you know.
0: Impacting the environment. It's also uh, reducing uh, uh, you have the customer value, the, the, the invoices, yep. and also protecting the people, too.
1: Protecting the people. And when I'd go and talk to guys that, you know, were working on shell shakers most of their lives, and then they switched over to, you know, the the, the Cubility solution, it was like I was like the greatest guy in the world for having that there. And they they go through how loud everything was and how— they are breathing these yeah, stuff, yeah. stuff in all yeah. the time. And, yeah. you know, their life was like, you know, they might might have been sitting there on the Corona beach, you know, after that, that, that Cubility yeah. got in there. So it's, uh, I really liked, enjoy, I, I really enjoyed seeing the impact of good technology and what that could do all the way around, it. you know, both from the vendor side, operator side and the frontline line. Okay. Manager.
0: All right. Cool. And I was like,
1: that's, that's what I want to do. That's really cool. And, uh. And, I, and I, I really enjoyed that. Part. All right,
0: yeah. So you're doing that for about three years. You, you introduced this this new technology into the U.S. land, the shale, indi- oh, the yep. shale play. So oh.
1: got 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 that done, and uh, uh, found two great distributors, both in Canada and the Lower 48, that had long term deals with uh, Cubility for for uh, for land. And uh, around that time, um, a very interesting opportunity in Silicon Valley popped up. Again, I'm in these conferences. You know, Waterwolf put me in these, these these small groups of not just oil and gas technologies, but
0: disruptive. And I hate to use that word because everybody use it. Dis- just you, you know, we're we're all about cliches these days. Yeah. Use it. Disruptive it's, technology very few things
1: are really disruptive, but you know, interesting or different or or off uh, off the beaten path. And and some of these conferences where I'm pre- you know, presenting you know the Cubility solution and some of these clean tech conferences, I'm I'm usually grouped in with guys that are using alternative fuel solutions. Okay. And one of these alternative fuel solutions was the Silicon Valley startup uh, called Artica, and they had figured out a way to uh, make hydrogen uh, maintain in a solid form, a solid form that wouldn't blow up, that you could put into a a case, and then uh, produce energy for, you know, 50 times longer than a lithium ion.
0: Interesting. All right.
1: So I met this guy, uh, Chris Lichter, at a conference, and we kept up with the technologies over the years. And He'd had a breakthrough with the U.S. military. Uh, they wanted to test this stuff out. They wanted to produce this stuff at scale. So I figured, you know, I, I'd done the drilling thing with Norway. And uh, at that time, Silicon Valley tech and the alternative fuel sources were were, were a lot. There, there are tons of them. Everybody's competing for who's going to be the next right. know, alternative fuel. Right. And I thought that this technology was just amazing. So um, long story short, ended up in San Francisco going back and forth, uh, figuring out how do we one, get this this uh, this hydrogen technology into not just the military market, but does it have crossover abilities? Okay. Can Caterpillar use this stuff? Can they run backhoes off of this you know, right. this, this energy source? Uh, lots of challenges making this stuff at scale. It's, it's very volatile in laboratory form. But once you get this stuff made, it's it's, it's like magic. So um, got into alternative fuels there learned a lot. Really kind of got my butt kicked because of the science was just... Extreme. I mean, it's extreme to make this stuff at scale. Uh, learned a lot about that. That allowed me to basically see how multi-fuel our future really is. You know, my whole my whole life I'd spent, or my whole career I'd spent on the hydrocarbon side, and you hear the narrative of, you know, what is alternative energy, and is that going to have a significant role within, you know, the
0: uh, our future. Right. And
1: oil and gas guys usually, you know, uh, are pretty receptive to it. Quite,
0: quite honestly, they, we got this horrible, horrible stigma that we're anti-renewables, we're anti—you know, saving the environment. When that's kind of what we've been focused on for the past twenty, twenty-five years.
1: Not only is it hundred so, so safety focused, safety, safety is ma- massive in the in the oil and gas industry. And they're also not avert to, to other ways to, to skin the cat. No. I've never met one person that's anti-renewables. They're, they're not, but they're realists, though. Yes. I, th- I, think, I think they're saying, okay, you know how much wind generation you're going to need to power a third-world nation that uses diesel right now? <laughs>
0: yeah, no. But that's the thing, though. It's, 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 they're, they're realists. You're right. I mean, but they're not anti Like, like no. Look, the technology's not here yet, but until then, let's continue to provide a, a, a cheap economic source of fuel. Yep. for these people yeah
1: and then the thought process too on that it w- would be that if you go into some of these like let's just say California hydrogen alternative fuel okay. super green, you go into that world and you think as an oil and gas guy, these guys are going to be anti-oil Oh, absolutely big you know it's just they hate everybody but not the case again, I'm, I'm in this this, uh, this company with a lot of Stanford lab guys that have come up with this, this alternative and turns out they're realists too. They see the future as you know even if we could produce this hydrogen element at scale, I mean, the demand for energy is going to be so massive in the future that we need everything. Yeah. We're, we're a multi-fuel, so I think, I think you have the polar opposites on either side, just like we do with politics or anything else, that have these narratives that they say, oil and gas is anti, you know, sustainable and, and you know, sustainability and green size anti oil and gas. I
0: love, I love when other people write our industry's narratives. Yeah, I love that. That's my favorite thing <laughs> in the world.
1: And it's really not true. And and I know it's true in some cases. And, and I have met some people on both sides of the coin that are that, are that way. But um, but I did get to see that, you know, from just a hydrogen standpoint, if we we're looking to power even a quarter of the energy demands, that the, the massive hurdles that are in front of hydrogen, wind, solar. We're know, just not there yet. We're not there yet. We, right. we need everything. Right. You're not Again, I'll use my, my Africa or Congo example. You're not going to get electric, electrification and a third-world market. It's just too expensive. I mean, diesel is, is cheap fuel. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, they'll have it, maybe. But, you know, in the near term, there's we the We're cheap. not there. We're not there. We need right. everything we right. can possibly get. And we probably need things that we haven't even thought about yet. Yeah. So it's, That's uh, a good
0: way to think. I mean, that's the technology side of, uh, of your uh, upbringing. That's, that's a right. good point. That's right.
1: There's stuff that out, that are out there that will bridge the gap. I, I think, you know, uh, remember Back to the Future—
0: when, when I just talked about a DeLorean yesterday for about 45 minutes. <laughs> yes, I know Back to the Future. <laughs>
1: well, you remember on Doc? I think it was like... I don't know three or four. I forgot how many of those movies they made, but you know, in the beginning, it was plutonium. The right. line ran off plutonium. Had to get it. Hard to get. That it. was the
0: beginning of Back to the Future 2 when he dropped like the banana peel and all that, that stuff. Yes, that was Back to the Future 2. That's two.
1: Okay, so that's that's our future. You know, he he's got plutonium. It's good, but he could also make it run off of a beer can and you know banana peel. Banana peel. Yeah, yeah. So so I think I think our future is a lot like that. I think we're
0: going to have to use well where we're going. We don't need roads. yeah that. So <laughs> it flies, but it still it still needs plutonium to a certain degree. So how you get how did you get did Doing this Silicon Valley so you're oil and gas so hospitality, yep. oil and gas, Silicon Valley. So how are you now at uh L'Amour?
1: Yeah, so I got even one more stop before between then. So, oh,
0: okay. So I uh,
1: so I did the, the the Silicon Valley thing for about a year and it just it just wasn't for that position in terms of scaling this technology, it wasn't gonna happen within the, the, the near term. You know, it was uh, too many challenges, too many hurdles. Um, not to say that it won't someday. Yeah. But Around the same time, too, I'm getting exposure to, uh, again, it's all about the circles you're running, uh, these venture capital tech conferences where they would promote various solutions that were both energy sensitive or value adding for the environment. And there's a solution called the Harbo Boom, (coughs) which I would like to relate to as you know, if you go into any office in the world, you have an AED unit on the wall for defibrillator. If you have a
0: heart attack. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. I've seen those. Right yep. down the street,
1: yep. you know, right there. You put them on your chest. Anybody can use them with minimal training. Usually
0: next to the soda machine. <laughs> right.
1: Right right next to the thing that may have caused Yeah, right pain.
0: next to the snack machine full of, uh, <laughs> uh, and the soda's full of high fructose corn. Pork
1: drink. rinds, yeah. Coke.
0: Defibrillator. Yeah, so you got all the bases covered.
1: So so that defibrillator yeah. unit is is kind of like the example I used, like to use for the Harbo unit. Right now, when you have an oil spill, either. Domestically, offshore, wherever, you usually have to make three or four phone calls and get somebody who's a specialist to come out and respond to that spill, and that lag time could be anywhere from 24 to
0: you know two weeks, 24 hours. Two Which weeks. is not what you want when you have a spill.
1: Not what you want when you have a spill. So what these guys in Israel came up with is this boom in a box. It's a, it's a box that weighs about 45 pounds. You open it up, you pull this thing out, it hits the water, foam absorbs, and you can surround an oil spill, you know, with with anybody, okay. anybody basically so you have people at uh at these you know petrol refineries have a spill they're not trained on the equipment they take out this this the stop loss solution they can isolate they can isolate it. It. right and anybody could do it and i said well that's really cool yeah you know that's uh thinking thinking you know I, I just came from as high tech as possible which is hydrogen to what would be considered lower tech but again at that time i'm looking for things that haven't been done yet you know there's 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 new ways to do things, and nobody's ever thought about how to contain an oil spill.
0: You like that side. You like you like bringing this new new products, new services, different ways to view things. You don't like selling the standard stuff that's in the toolbox. You like kind of bringing new things to market or introducing new technologies.
1: That's right. I like I like to, I like to come to something you. that 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 you haven't heard about before or maybe haven't thought of. And I also like it when you tell me that'll never work here. You know, yeah, I've heard that so many times in my career that. This thing will never work.
0: And that that's direction. not going to stop. You just keep on going. I'll just keep going. Okay. That, that's,
1: All I, right. I love it when you tell me. That okay. Sure. And uh, so so worked for Harbo for a while, uh, which brought me into Lamore. This is where I'm working for now. Lamore is the leader of oil spill response technology. They are the NOV of the, the from, oil. From, from the headquarters in Finland? Headquarters in Finland. Okay. Yep. Um, they've got oil spill response. I mean, if there's an oil spill around the world, there is a Lamar piece of kit on that oil spill, you know, 100%. They're, they're massive in terms of oil spill. Response. So there's a
0: lot of different offices, I guess? A
1: lot of global partners, you know, okay. like 56 countries. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're. So what I liked about going into Lamar is, you know, NOVU is corporate America, 60,000 people, and I was there. Yep. Then I get into these no more than 30 people companies, and I do that for a few years. And I go to Lamore. They've been around. Did
0: they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? Or you see
1: their technology and you are like, I want to be part of this team. So I am promoting this Harbo solution. Okay. And you know they are the three hundred pound gorilla in the industry. So they see this Harbo solution. They've got all the conventional kit, and they like they like the Harbo solution. Uh, They like how I am selling it, or at least trying to compete with them to sell it. And uh, so they're the Yankees, pretty much. They're they're the Yankees, but they're also you know again all Scandinavian people, or at least the ones I've had exposure to uh, these. Norwegians was Cubility. uh, the Finns are Lemoore uh, are just great people. I've, I've really enjoyed right. just, just their culture is awesome. And, uh, you know, long story short, I hit it off with their CEO, and uh, they were getting into things not only oil spill response related – but they had just tackled, you know, a major initiative with waste and water, two things I have a lot of experience in. So, yeah. So I knew a lot about drill cuttings and and disposal and, and what what happens with that process we, with my experience with Cubility. Knew a lot about water, uh, you know, with with the uh, with the NOV side. Right. And then, obviously, I just spent some time with the oil spill response with the Harpo thing. So
0: you get the, uh, you get the, 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 the tripod. So the trinity of those. Trinity. People, yeah, the, trinity, the trinity. Better word. Yeah. Better word than tripod. Tripod's a good word. <laughs> so, okay, so you got, every, you, got yeah. you got the background, and you're talking to the CEO, So this is the competitor, major competitor. Major competitor. So you just kind of bump into the CEO or what? Bump, yeah, Literally
1: bumped into him at the biggest trade show uh, in, in Lafayette, Louisiana. Okay, uh, cool. Lafayette, New Orleans. Uh, the spill conference there's a massive spill conference every year in new orleans and my booth you know i'm out there once again widget man selling the product talking to customers about the benefits of this harbo solution versus these very slow and archaic you know long-term solutions that the industry is selling and uh just got talking to the ceo a guy named mika and uh just just really hit it off and we uh we kept in touch uh he was very much for the harbo solution he thought it was needed within the marketplace whether it was them that did it, or, or us at the time. All
0: right.
1: And uh, and long story short, I went over. I, I got offered a role with with them, and um, we've actually, as of recently, we've bought the licensing for the Harbo solution. So I've taken the product that I helped build and put into into motion. Now we've taken it back into in the, back in the toolbox. Back into the toolbox, and the more. Well,
0: that's pretty. I mean, that's pretty exciting. So, be, so global business development, VP of global business yep. development. Mm-hmm. So how how are you finding? I guess. I guess I'm, I'm assuming that during a global, a VP of global business development, you it requires some travel or requires some, uh, dealings with international customers, various customers. How is that right now? I guess since March, it's, 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 so all... you started, you started over at Lamore when? Uh, last March. Last, okay. So, yeah. so be, I, so before I, before shit hit the fan. Right as it was hitting oh, okay.
1: the fan. Oh, okay. So, right. so March is really when I think, I think COVID started to sort of seep yeah. in and we, yeah. we started thinking that this thing from China might be a real deal. Uh. But yeah, so I, I started this, this 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 what would be a highly global job, you know, on the road, just like it There's was. quite a lot really. of travel on the side. A lot of traveling, then all of a sudden, I'm doing everything like like what we're doing now, for yeah. Zoom, and uh, you know, it, it it taught us at little at least. It taught us you know how much fat we could cut off in our processes. Yeah, what, what is working effectively because you can only stay on a Zoom call for so long. And then, you know...
0: what? I wait, hold on a second. Say that again. So people can understand <laughs> that you can only stay on a Zoom call for so long. You yeah. don't have to continue it for 15 minutes after you're done.
1: You could just get off. And you could cut the social stuff. That's it. Once you log on, we don't have to talk about We don't have to catch up. Stuff. We don't. We don't. I mean, you and I, we, we could catch up because yeah, this is a social thing. But when you know other people, just, just write into yes, it. Yes, I agree. Let's not talk about Tell it. Tell
0: no them about the flood right now. Okay.
1: So so we've gotten good at that a little more. And plus, the I would say about the, the people in Finland, uh, they, they don't have a lot of... Uh, they have less BS in yep. their whole culture, life, super honest, directly to the point, which which has been just a joy to That's work a breath for. Of fresh air. Uh, but but in terms of operations uh, in the global scale, uh, and we were talking about this before, as commodity prices in the oil and gas market especially dropped, storage increases dramatically. You know we've got buildup of for a while there when oil was negative. Yeah. we had ships that didn't have docks. Yeah, you know these tankers were sitting offshore, you know in lines, and uh, you know you could go pick up oil from. Texas for, you know, negative the price. Anyway, we went through a very sm- interesting period of commodity prices. Uh, but that, what that all means is a massive buildup of storage. okay And so at Lamore we have two major challenges during COVID. We've got this massive buildup of storage, which inevitably equals some sort of spill. So we saw the Mauritius oil spill in East Africa. We saw a big one in Russia. There's a massive one in South America. Every other day, a spill is in, right. you know, your news feed. And that, that's, that's our business. So we're having to figure out how do we organize local content, people that are close to the spill, uh, with travel regulations where we could send teams, you know, and how do we how do we organize these quick response uh, solutions, which a lot we have locally, and uh, and how do we coordinate that without being you know boots on the ground sometimes? So uh, you know, Lamore did a great job of understanding where the strengths were and how to respond to some of these massive spills that even in the best of climates would have been.
0: So uh, very difficult. Limor being the three hundred pound grill in the room. One, of, well, I guess, one of the the, ma- the major the V uh, spill response um, uh, uh, company, uh, yeah, in, in company, whatever you want to call sure. it. Sure. So. They did – so with a company that size, I mean, they were able to pivot pretty quickly and, I guess, uh, address this. Because I would assume it's just kind of like well-controlled. I would assume like a spill is kind of like well-controlled. Not, I understand that this – but at the same time, the impact is there and you need boots on the ground. You need people looking at this. You need people assessing what's happening and how to respond. So I guess for them to pivot so quickly and to, I guess, uh, be in a situation to handle these type of uh, uh, spills or these spills, I mean, that's – that's the, I, how how were they able to pivot so quickly?
1: They had an amazing network of – so L- L'Amour is global. They've got a presence in almost every major company. Okay. So they, they, they do have some infrastructure almost everywhere. Okay. And what they're able to do in a lot of these situations where we had some super remote jobs that were hard to do is they're able to couple together a lot of their other distributors, vendors, uh, people that touch L'Amour maybe to a less significant degree. Okay. Yeah, they carry a couple of more products. And consolidate a lot of these these vendors and operators together and uh, and, and respond as sort of a, a collective. So there's an incentive to take those little more products that were maybe unrelated and then put them together with the local responders that were okay. close. All right. So it was kind of a logistics job for, for the guys in, in Finland. Um, again, these guys are great under pressure. They they love a good challenge. And they were able to find the right responders at the right time with the right products Overcome the shipping logistics hurdles and uh, and be on these sites quickly.
0: Well, how's that been for you uh, personally? I mean, you're you're starting at this new company. Uh, you're, you're VP of global sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you're ready to hit the ground running. You're starting in March. You like it in front of people. You like interacting. And uh, uh, I mean, you've traveled. I mean, you moved every three years. So I mean, how is it now? Suddenly, boom! You hit this uh, place where you can't travel. It travel's restricted. New role. Yeah. Like how, how was that for you? I guess, uh, adapting and adjusting.
1: It was, it was absolutely, it, it, it was so disoriented at first because, you know, I was the guy on the plane every yeah. few months, if not every week. Uh, and when it first stopped, I, I, I had to kind of take a, take, take account into what, how am I going to do my job? From this perspective. right how am i going to grow revenue how am i going to out add value what are we going to do to to make sure that Lamore gets value out of me for sure right because my impact is usually right in front of somebody or on the on the site or in front of the customer now you take away that customer once removed maybe from a zoom and then it's a completely different world so what i did personally to help pivot for that loss of personal touch was we really focused on the digital marketing side okay so we 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 overhauled uh, we did a lot of SEO on our website. We overhauled everything we did in terms of how we collected leads online. Everybody's on their computers now. Oh yeah. So instead of being focused on, you know, the direct line relationship with the salespeople and how we did that, I started really focusing on how do we run our digital side and how do we collect leads and how do we get on somebody's third page of Google? And how do we chase them after they've been on our website? So what, what did you
0: learn through all this process? Obviously, so the, the focus is on uh, online presence, yeah. right? Whether it's content or whether it's generating. So how did you, um, I guess, uh, was it trial and error? Was it uh, outsourced or what?
1: Yeah, so I had worked with the same. So I kind of had the same, same uh, floor, uh, game plan when I go into these new organizations, usually in startup city. They've done nothing on the digital market. Okay. They've just got a website to make sure that they're legit. They're there. But they they, they have a, a thought that the te- if they build the technology, the customers will come. Right. You know, nobody does business on online for the most part. Which I found kind of counterintuitive because I'm of the generation where we're we're the Amazon generation. Yeah. You know, everything comes to our front door, we look everything up. If I want to know who you are, I'm going to look you up on LinkedIn
0: and, and A Facebook. background <laughs> check. Yeah, who, you yeah. Know,
1: it's, it's it's sort of uh, sort of the process that I think is 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 most overlooked within startups.
0: So, what? There's no blind dates anymore.
1: <laughs> there's no blind anything. anymore. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, I'd done this. This is my 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 playbook when I go into startups would be to overhaul the digital side. And Lemoore had been around for you know 25 years. And they weren't as interested uh, on the digital side prior to the the slowdown. They were, their brand recognition was massive.
0: We got a great service. We got a great name. We got a great product. People know us and they'll just call us. We're
1: everywhere. You can't buy around us. You know, we're we're, we're pretty much here. Right. But but how do we optimize that, especially with new products, uh, more or less? Now that we're in waste and water, which which that's a super competitive, you know, everybody's in waste oh, and yeah. water now. Oh yeah. And how are we going to compete for attention within those spaces? And, and and what are we going to do differently in waste and water that not everybody's doing? So digital side became extremely important. And then overhauling value propositions in terms of what is it that we do that somebody else can't do in a different region, especially for waste and water, has been sort of uh, the the job of the entire sales team.
0: So you the, the, the presence is there, mm-hmm. um, your footprints all over the globe. Uh, so as far as generating content, you really don't have to introduce the company. You know, no. I mean, people know the company. People know what y'all do. Duh, duh. Right. So I guess um, you you kind of answered this before. But what was your I guess focus when it comes? Okay, yeah. uh, people know who we are. They know what we do. Duh, duh. I'm going to focus on this message to the to the to the customers because you it's an established company. Sure. So what message uh, what messages were you thinking of trying to go go down and community? The
1: the, ma- the major messages were that we, we we not only are the oil spill responders, we're the guys that are going to be able to take that oily water and produce it, you know, take the oil out of it. We're also yeah. going to be those guys that can set up a solid control facility in South America where you know the slumbergers are the bigger guys. Maybe the economics don't work for the bigger companies to go, but we can do that because okay. we're a smaller company and we've got different incentives so it was more or less broadening the message of what 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 do we do Yes, we're known for this, but we really do these things right. too and uh, and understanding and converting customers because you know you know this with sales. Uh, A lot of times you're cannibalizing your own foot because you're not asking the questions to the customers of, what else do you need? Yeah, you know,
0: a lot of times there's you put your blinders on. You say, okay, I only sell uh, this this bottle of water and that's you're done. Okay, I'm good.
1: Yep. Yeah. What else do you need? And more than likely, they're taking that service up the road where you're like, oh, but by the way, we do this too. You just never asked.
0: So, so once I guess uh, restrictions kind of get picked up and uh, th- things go back to whatever. I'm not I even mean, whatever. You know what I mean. Um, the new normal. Whatever. I- I'm so sick of that. So <laughs> once kind of thing. Once the environment changes a little bit, where, where you can get out there, you can travel. I guess is the is the digital side, the marketing side of things still going to be a, um, a focus, or is is it going to be getting out there, getting in front of people? I and mean, what's 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 going to be in your uh, your wheelhouse?
1: It'll be both. Now 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 that we've got the digital side really humming. Yeah, we've we've, we've done this now for a hundred. 20 day, we have what you call plan for the best initiatives within a mm-hmm. It's not planned for the worst, it's planned for the best. And that's how we introduce new concepts. So our digital overhaul was a plan for the best initiative. And we took 120 days to see how much can we pump our statistics up on a website? How much can we pump up our lead generation? What can we do in 120 days of pure focus with the right assets on the digital side? So once you get that ball rolling digitally, then it keeps rolling as long as you keep, you know, Putting into the uh, yes, yeah, it needs, it still needs effort. effort, and energy. Yeah, it still needs effort, but but it, it's a it's a it's a compounding interest okay. sort of deal. So now that we've got that off and running, it, it'll obviously be going into markets, capturing more customers, and then and then again, you know, at waste and water is our is our main focus going forward. We have a very good um, presence with the spill response. We'd like to be in more waste and water markets, especially lower forty-eight. Um, if we could get a piece of this business here, it'd be fantastic. Um, but more or less, we focus on markets that are usually underserved. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of places in South America right now, for instance, that okay. uh, people are drilling and processing waste that are smaller in cap. Uh, you know, again, uh, Schlumberger, uh, some of these bigger service companies probably aren't going to uh, sunk costs. Doesn't it make sense. Doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. There's nothing else there except for this one thing. Right. So we're finding those kind of uh, positions around the world and. Uh, Obviously, after we couple together, you know, a portfolio of these positions, then we'll we'll look into uh, competing in more of the mainstream
0: markets. Well, one thing uh, that we've been discussing here on the on the, on the podcast is uh, being an industry advocate and discussing our you know our, our uh, the good we do, um, not just for the world but for our communities and all that stuff. I mean, how, how much is I guess storytelling? Um, uh, is that something that that you you thought about? Because you, it's global leader. In, in oil spill response and environmental solutions, including waste water. So mm-hmm. it seems like it's, it's. I mean, you're stopping spills, you're treating water, yep. da 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 I mean, is there, uh, besides, you know, this is our core business, this is what we do, is there a, a kind of a, a side or, or a, f- a storytelling aspect of it that, uh, that the y'all's company does. That said, this is kind of how we help. Or uh, when things go bad, we 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 are there to help the community. Is, is something yeah, that
1: one hundred percent. Our our motto is let's clean the world okay. like, together. Let's clean the world and, and and without context, that kind of seems like a very granola green thing. But mm-hmm. you know, we say let's clean the world. Let's, You know, we have a one more standpoint where all of our partners, everybody that kind of couples together, we're we're one team. Yeah, you know, we don't like division much within our distributors, our partners. And our goal is to clean the world. We're also doing some crazy stuff like recycling uh, river plastic waste. You know, okay. That's, that's another frontier where you see a lot of these guys going to the, the landmass that's the size of Texas and you know offshore taking a lot of that yeah. plastic out. Yeah. But it gets there by going through rivers, first of all. Some of these third world nations have massive amounts of plastic in the river going out into the ocean. Right. And now we're starting to take... Uh, through some partnerships, we're starting to take
0: plastics out of these massive rivers that end up to be these land masses. I think that would be such a cool story to tell, or, or put more focus on, on on stuff like that. You know, like the the stuff we are doing proactively for the environment. I, I just think that us as, us as an industry, we need to be doing that more. You know, and uh, and and speaking to that. Absolutely, and and I think I
1: think there's synergies there too. I mean, uh, one of the things that the plastic market, let's just say the plastic recovery market, yep. taking all these bottles out of rivers. We know, What do we do with that plastic? Well, if there's an incentive to buy these products, let's just say something within drilling, there's a lot of frack products that could probably build, be there you that go. plastic. That would be a you know a, a you know, obviously a synergy. Yeah. That would be something that I think would be natural. So we're gonna have a lot of resource, just like water at one point everybody just threw produced water away. Now produced water is gold because it's got oil in it. I think the same thing's gonna happen with river water where you have all this plastic. All these hydrocarbon-based plastics that are coming down in these rivers—if you collect a bunch of that stuff, you've got a commodity. You can do something with it. And if you can figure out how to really transition that into the public space or even the private space, I think uh, I think that would be that would be the goal.
0: Well, I'm, I'm, I think we're coming up on an hour right now. We so probably have to wrap it up. But I got—I just hey, got a question for you. I mean, it seems like your background, your third-generation oil field, travel here, this industry, that industry, like these different roles and all stuff. But it seems like you're—you're uh, you're not. I don't. Again, this is the first time we mean, but it seems like you're driven. Um, you know, whether it's not the title, not the not the paycheck, not this, but it seems like you're driven for like a solution based thinking outside of the box, new innovative ways uh, to help our and to help your customers. How do you constantly have that mindset of? Because it seems like it's just, it's not, it's not, it's it's a different mindset. So how do you how do you con- continuously have that mindset?
1: First of all, it's a very ADD way to think.
0: Okay, <laughs> okay.
1: So, so the ADD. I, yeah, I mean, it's 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 not. You know, I wouldn't I would wish my uh, my attention deficit on anybody. But I, I think I think what what my what what my 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 general capacity to understand what's needed in the marketplace has always kind of shown me what would be the next thing. And I like to be first to market with a lot of things. And I think that what drives me is understanding what are the challenges that are going are currently happening. What, yeah. what are we currently seeing? And then. You know, is there is there a a near term best solution that exists that could solve that problem? And if somebody if I come by that information myself, which is very rarely, uh, usually somebody else tells me about that information and then it starts to take in my head. And then I think.
0: "Hmm, So it's always conversations. It's always uh, what's the problem? Is there a solution? And if not, what would be a solution type of conversations you have?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's what is the major – like, you know, the NOV days, at least they taught you to really understand customer pain. Right. But what is the pain? You find the pain, find the solution. Happy customer. Okay. So more or less, you know, in, in these various circles that I've ran in, I've always asked the questions, you know, what, what are the biggest challenges? What would be – if you could change anything in, in the industry, what would, what would that be? Uh, is there a silver bullet for
0: your problem? But the thing is that once you get the information, you don't you don't say, oh, well, that's not there yet. Sorry, oh, what else could we do? Right. So you take that information like oh, it's not here yet. Is it? Can we find it? Can we piece it together? So I think that's, I think that extra step I think is uh, is 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 crucial, I guess, in your situation when you're constantly trying to bring new technology, new innovative ways to handle a problem or introduce a pro- introduce a service.
1: You've got to be hungry for it yeah. for sure. And uh, and and I, and I do like. I have great satisfaction walking away, and and when I see, let's just say, a Cubility Mud Cube on the back of a a big truck going down I-10 headed to the uh, Eagleford, you know, I, I see that big red... Uh, Solid control solution, and then that thing was in Norway five years ago. Now it's on I 10. So you can there, the, and I can see the results. Yeah, of that. okay. Uh, you know, I can could, I could see the, the technology with the, the, the soldier battery power units that are still, you know, still in development, but eventually a soldier will be able to stay out in the field two weeks longer than he would prior. You know, his mission will probably right. be completed. Uh, and now, you know, we're stopping oil spills, you know, all the time with this Harbo solution that. Would not be stopped before. It would have been a lot worse. A lot worse. We've had some case examples of some uh, some refineries that, you know, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. There's just a, a security guard, a safety guy, and maybe one line worker, and they've got this major problem. And they just say, well, we could just call somebody else, but we'll grab this thing you know, out of the corner. And, and then we'll call someone else. And we'll put it out there and we'll stop it. And then, you know, the economics on, on that one decision of having... I should say the the defibrillator unit of oil spills next to them has been massive.
0: Oh, I can imagine. I will bet the liability. I mean, everything. It's huge legal community impact. The, the the perception of our industry. I mean, there's a lot at stake right there. If that if that spill starts getting out and gets out of control, it's it's massive, which we've seen in our industry nonstop. Every time there's a spill,
1: and that's why we have this 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 narrative again. Other other people writing our stories for us. They see Macondo. They see Valdez. They see these very isolated yeah. events for the most part. And then the reputation precedes us, right? So, uh, for the most part, we're all super, very safe, environmentally conscious, and uh, proactive. You know,
0: I think industry. I think that's a message that we, as an industry, need to communicate more. Not just oh, we, we we did this to fix this, but instead, like because of this, we allowed this to happen right. in a good way. Right? You know, we our impact is positive on the, on the communities that we're that we in. Versus, oh, we had a we had a. Uh, a no shit moment and uh, oops sorry we, we, we handled it this way so it, it's kind of we need to be more I feel like more proactive and that's again a cliche word but it's true though we need to tell our story better I, I think so and
1: I, th- I think it's uh, you know our generation especially you know we, we've 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 seen the the you know the the transition of let's just say power from you know the, the generation that preceded us you know and they didn't really care too much about what other people thought right. as much they, they were there to do a job and great if they talk about this and that but they, they're Laser focused on. Well, the
0: exposure wasn't there. The internet wasn't there. It's not in your face constantly. You're not getting alerts about a, a news story. Sure. Yeah. And, and, the, and the social
1: pressure wasn't there. We've we've grown up in a different world, and I do think it's up to you know our generation to sort of promote. Hey, you know, if you go on a drilling rig, it's probably the safest place you know you could be, or you wouldn't be there yeah. for the most part. There's accidents happen, but there are some facilities and rigs and companies that are you know years about incidents, right. and uh, it's because they're doing a very complicated, very dangerous process, and they've got. A lot of uh, safety protocols in place.
0: We need to shake off that 1980s, 1970s uh, stigma that we have. There were just these wildcatters going out there, spinning chains, and
1: and that's a tough guy thing to talk about. It too, is, but, it is, but it's uh, it's just not it's just not relative to how it is now.
0: No, it's not. And that's why I, I had a podcast with a Tyler Thomason over at Encore Permian. I'm like, well, you know, what myth would you want to debunk? And he's mm-hmm. like. The whole macho ness of it. If you if you want to see your if you want to go to your kid's birthday, go. You know yeah, what I mean? Oh, you don't yeah. have to just be on a like it was it was an interesting conversation because yeah. it's true. Like the whole like macho like oh man I miss you know my daughter's birth. It's like well that's not good. No, <laughs> you no, want to be there for
1: that. And that's why it, it, and that's what I thought the industry was when I first you know, when I was growing up. My dad was, was. twenty one on twenty one off, and yeah, it was uh, not something I wanted to particularly do. But again, this industry has changed so much. Automated walking rigs, electric top drives, you know. Pretty much they're going to be controlling these things from shore at some point, you know, with automation and the way it's going. So I I think our industry should segue very well with safety, environmental, and, you know, a fuel future
0: that I think is very possible.
1: And it is happening.
0: It is happening. That's the thing, though. We just got to tell that story, though. That's up to us. So uh, anyway, Brandon, I appreciate you coming in today, man. Again, everyone, this is uh, Brandon. Bizarre. Bizarre. Yeah. Um, you see it is. Yeah, I don't want to hit that E. Brandon uh, Broussard, uh, the Vice President of Global Business Development at Lamore Corporation. And you can find him on LinkedIn, and you can also check out uh, Lamore Corporation on LinkedIn. Check out their website. Um, and uh, I appreciate you coming in, man. I appreciate uh, your insight, kind of what drives you, what's motivating you, um, and uh, kind of what you're doing Uh being an industry advocate and uh i i, I wish you the best once the kind of things open up and uh i would love to get you back on to kind of talk about what's your role now that you can move sure. that you can get out of katie texas
1: <laughs> well this has been an absolute blast and thank you for being such a great oh, voice for yeah, the industry for coming, I, think, dude. I think it's people like you that are going to shape uh the real narrative around mm-hmm. what, what we're happening and what's doing so um, i really appreciate being on and Best of luck to you as well.
0: Well, buddy, I'm very flattered for those words, and I appreciate it. But uh, we'll talk to you soon. And, uh, again, check them out. Uh, hook up with them, link, uh, send them a message. And uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in on uh, round the Road, and we'll see you next time.